Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Stop to think for a moment about the experience that Heidi uh, describes about standing in Superstore and trying to give something of value away. Think about the issue of motivation. What would motivate you to do that? Well, pressure from the deacons, obviously. An opportunity, obviously. But, but think about the blessing and the benefit. About looking at people in the aisle, a young couple with two little girls, and trying to assess their level of need. Is it just that they were young? Were they dressed down a little? Were they very careful in terms of what they would buy and how much it would cost? You see, to get to look at something closely is to strive to understand. And when you understand, then you come to a deeper appreciation of what gets you up and going in the first place. So I want to invite you on this Sunday morning to think about motivation. What is it that gets you up? Well, if you were in Victoria this morning, what would get you up is the fact that you have snow drifts in your driveway and somebody's got to shovel it. And so you do that because you hope that maybe later on in the afternoon you can get out. What would motivate you to crack open a book? Well, a deadline towards an exam. What would motivate you to show up at work on time and to put in the best effort that you have. Well, perhaps last week, your boss, your employer, critiqued you because you were perpetually late and you were given a warning, if you continue this, this job will disappear. And so you're motivated by apprehension and fear. When I think about motivation, and I need to have some sort of a memory uh, device in my own head, head, I think of words that begin with a letter P. I am motivated by pleasure. If something feels good, it motivates me to do it. I'm motivated by seeking to please someone, to get a word of affirmation or a touch of appreciation. Perhaps this morning you handed out a Valentine's card and you had taken the time to write something really personal and it pleased your loved one and they looked up at you perhaps with a big grin and say, said, thank you very much. And something within you sort of grew because of the fact that you had pleased someone. Or I'm motivated to avoid pain. I remember having a toothache 
And the dentist said, well, you'll continue to have toothaches if you're not more careful with your dental hygiene. And so ever since then, I've been motivated to brush and to make sure that my teeth stays clean because I don't like pain. Or perhaps you are motivated by an accumulation of possessions. You want stuff. And so you always look for the stuff that you want and you seek to find a bargain and and then you seek to obtain it and when you get it, you are happy about it. Or, Or maybe, maybe you're motivated by the idea of privilege. If I get to a particular status, then somebody will give me a key to the office. And I can come and go as I please. There's that sense of privilege. Or perhaps I'm motivated by position. If I have this role, then I can influence people. And I can say to people, I am the foreman. I am the foreperson. And you will do this. And this is how you will do it. And you're motivated by the position that you have achieved and that you hold. But I think there is one overriding motivation for many, many people, and that is the role of power. That you have power, power to say, power to do, power to achieve, power to start, power to stop, power to amend. To have power is an incredibly strong motivator. In the story that we're going to read this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, a rich young man comes to Jesus. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus talks to him about what he should do. And that leads to a whole bunch of different questions on the part of the disciples, on the part of those who are followers of Jesus. And those questions reveal a sense of motivation. And it makes us begin to think about what are we motivated to do on behalf of Jesus, and why. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to begin to read at verse 16, and then we'll get into chapter 20, verse 1, where where Jesus comes up with a parable, and, and this parable is a story about workers in the vineyard and what motivates them. And then... We're going to try to understand the kingdom of God and our own motivation with regard to it. So reading from Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, Keep the commandments. 
Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with human beings, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered, we have left, answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all, of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, but many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about, about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his supervisor, call the workers and pay them, for their, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are, in, are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you have a Bible, don't close it, because we're going to come back to it uh, in a moment. And, and I would, well, more than a moment, but... Uh, We'll come back to it because I want to show how difficult 
It is, it was, and for us to respond to these words of Jesus. A young man comes. He's wealthy. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, his understanding is all depends on him. It all depends on his effort. Why do you call me good? There is only one that is good that, that Jesus, Jesus says, and that is God the Father. Why? Because God is gracious. Out of his perfection, he comes and he pours out his love on people who are undeserving. There is only one who is good, Jesus teaches. And that's so fundamentally important for us to understand. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. I've done that. And it's particularly the second table of the law. The first table of the law is more directed towards God. You should not take my name in vain and so forth. But the second table of the law is directed towards others. Don't kill, don't, you know, or you shall not murder. You shall not bear false witness uh, and so forth. All these things I have done, the young man says. In other words, good on me, good on me. I have done these things. What else must I do? See, it's very familiar to us. It's this whole idea of merit. If we do something, we expect to get rewarded. We are motivated by the pleasure of getting a reward, of achieving a position, of achieving a role, of obtaining power, of being able to say, I deserve this. I deserve this. That's still what motivates us. Jesus says, well, one thing you still have to do. Sell all that you have, give it all away, and then come and follow me. In other words, liquidate all your assets, buy all sorts of cards, stand in the store at aisle at Superstore or wherever else you want to, and just give it away. Just give it away. And then come and follow me. Now, notice in the summary of the commandments, Jesus says you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And the word there for love is the word agape, which involves sacrificial love. It's the same word that the Apostle John uses as he quotes Jesus in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He emptied himself and he gave his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the young man's face fell because he was very wealthy. He had possessions. He had position. He had privilege. He had power. He could pursue pleasure. He could achieve pleasing. He could avoid pain, at least many, many types of pain, like starvation, or not being able to pay for your medicine, or not being able and use fill in blank. He could avoid many types of pain because he had cash in his pocket and that gave him power. And his face fell and he goes away. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, it's hard for the rich 
the privileged, the powerful, the people with position. It's hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is hard for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished. They were astonished. Because the rich are the privileged. We see that displayed on the news all the time. When somebody wins $16 million on the lottery, they get their picture in the paper and a big check, and they're asked, what are they going to do now? Because now they're rich and they're privileged and they're powerful, and they can do things like buy a home for their parents and buy a new car and buy a new home and quit their job and go on a perpetual vacation. They're rich, they're privileged, they're powerful. Jesus is hard. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. We think that, that is a, a small opening in the wall of the Jerusalem. It's easy, easy for a camel to go through that than to go come into, for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. And the disciples, as I said, were astonished. And Peter, Peter gives voice to their feelings, to their concerns. We, we have left everything to follow you. What is in it for us? We have left everything. And you know the story about the, Jesus calling the disciples, Peter and James and John, they were fishermen, either working with her father or they owned stuff themselves. They were self-employed. They were independent. They, they weren't serfs. They weren't peasants. They, they were people who had some standing. And, and they just walked away. They, they left it all behind. And they followed Jesus. But now Peter says, but aren't we going to get rewarded for that? Aren't we going to have position or privilege or power? And Jesus said, yeah, you will, but not in the immediate. It'll come in the future. And then, and that's where you have to ignore, of course, chapter and verse divisions, because very often in our devotional reading or our reading, we'd come to the end of chapter 19 and we'd quit because, well, it's chapter 20, different idea. No, no, same idea. He has said, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And now he tells a parable. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he tells a story. He spins a tale. He's a wonderful storyteller. He's a wonderful teacher. He can grab your imagination. He, he comes to people and he identifies with where they are at. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of a vineyard. Now, that would grip uh, the imagination of his audience because Israel was largely an agrarian, agricultural-based society. Vineyards and other things like that were common around them. And at various times of the year, someone would have to come and 
do a variety of things, whether planting new vines or pruning the old ones or gathering in the harvest or, or weeding the fields or making sure in a drought that water was brought to the plants, something would have to be done. And so the owner of the vineyard would go to the marketplace where people, laborers would gather in the morning and there the owner of the vineyard selected uh, some and says, come and work in my vineyard and I will pay you a denarius a day for the day. Now the day, we have to understand, comes from six o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the evening. It's a 12 hour day and it is split up in hours of three. So from six and nine and nine and 12 and 12 and three and three to six. And so he says, come for a denarius a day. Now, let's, let me try to put that in sort of our experience. Uh, the, the, the minimum wage in British Columbia is just under $15 an hour. So at 12 hours, you would earn just over $175. And now let's just keep it at that. At $175, numbers are not my strong suit, so I'll just try to keep it simple for myself. I will pay you $175 to work for me in my vineyard from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening. And they say, yep, that's fine. And off they go. Whatever they're doing, they're doing. And then at 9, so three hours later, the owner of the vineyard goes back to the marketplace. Some other people have shown up in between uh, six and nine. And he says, well, you go work in my vineyard too, and I will pay you what is right. It's a really important little detail here. He doesn't say, I will pay you a denarius. I will pay you $175 for the day. I will pay you what is right. And then he does it again at noon, at 12. And he does it again at three. And then, interestingly, he does it again at five. And they all go to work in his vineyard. And then six o'clock rolls around, and the workday is over. And when that workday is done, they all gather together. And he says to the owner of the vineyard, says to his supervisor, Pay these people, and you begin with the last ones hired, and you end with the first ones hired. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Fine. So they all line up. Just imagine that there's a table, and there are these coins, denarii, and people start walking by. The five o'clock laborers walk by and the people who are standing at the end of the line are looking down the line and they get a denarius. $175 for 60 minutes of work. How'd you like that for a wage? 175 bucks. And you can just sort of sense the ripple effect of that as the people who've worked from three to six and 12 to six look at that and they all start doing multiplication in their mind. And the ones at the end 
are multiplying times 12. They had expected $175 at the end of the day, but times 12, that's a little over $2,100. And they get excited. They're thrilled. Except when they come to the table and they get $175 and they are unhappy and they begin to grumble. Has anyone ever grumbled at you? Saying, that's not fair. That's not right. And the owner of the vineyard goes to one of the grumblers and says, what's wrong? What's wrong? Have I cheated you? Did I work? Did I not agree that you would work for a denarius? Did I not pay you $175? Yeah, 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 but... But, but they only worked 60 minutes. They didn't deal with the heat of the day. They didn't deal with the hardest part of the work. They didn't have to do the heavy lifting. They were just there and they got the same as me. And that's not fair. I'm sure, I'm sure that most of us would sort of resonate with that. That's just... Not fair. And then the owner of the vineyard asks three penetrating questions. Did you not agree? Can I not do what I want with what is mine? Why are you envious? Did we not agree? Can I not do what I want with what is mine? And why are you envious? Those are penetrating, probing questions that make you think. Did we not agree? Yeah, we did. Can I not do what I want with what is mine? Yes, you can. Are you envious? Yeah, I am. What does it say about your motivation? About why you do things? The kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. This is not a story about an economic plan or structure. This is not a story about how, you know, labor or employer-employee relationship should work. This is a story about the kingdom of God and about its values. And they are upside down from the values so often seen in this earth. The values that put us at the center 
And they say it is all about me, about what I want, about the avoidance of my pain and about the achievement of my pleasure and about the achievement of my position and of my role and particularly about the achievement of my power. What must I do and I will do it? Jesus comes and he makes his disciples think about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let me try to put that in terms of, of our own church. Some people have been in this church for 50 years or more. They identify with this. This is my church. I've been here and I have sacrificed for 50 years. And then someone new enters in. And they have gifts and talents and they quickly arise to a position of leadership and influence and power. And some people get jealous because, well, you haven't done the heavy lifting. Yes, it's your church, but, but you haven't been here 50 years. Therefore, you don't have as much right or privilege as I do. And Jesus says, no, it's not your church. It's my church. And I can do in my church what I please. And if I want to promote a person who's only been here for months to a position of high influence and power, that's my choice. You can be envious, but you need to get over the envy. You need to be in to deal with the fact that the motivation in church is not about pain or pleasure or privilege or position or power. The motivation in church is about response to grace. And there's only one good and legitimate response to grace. And that is gratitude. That is finding a way to say thank you. Thank you for drawing me in early on in my life. Thank you for drawing a family member in in the last hour of their life. And thank you that we'll come into your kingdom together equally your children not about different levels of status and privilege and power and authority, but your children, your people. Thank you. You know, there, there is in our culture this little proverb. Uh, some of you may remember John Crosby. He died uh, uh, a little over a year ago in uh, Newfoundland. He was the minister of finance in the administration of Prime Minister Clark back in the late 1980s. And he brought in a budget, and he tried to sell that budget. It was a very tight budget. He tried to sell that budget with short-term pain for long-term gain. Some of you who are old, like me, will remember that. Short-term pain for long-term gain. 
And what he meant was, well, we have to sacrifice a little bit now, and then when we have sacrificed, then, you know, in the future it'll be easier. And in response to COVID, because the government's been handing out money to people who are in need, and I think, and appreciatively, legitimately so, well, somebody's gonna to have to pay the bill. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few years you'll see tax rates going up a bit. We will have pain in order to begin to balance the budget again. Well, Joe Clark and John Crosby went to the people and the people voted in the opposition, the liberals at the time. And so Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau came back into power because we didn't like this idea of short-term pain for long-term gain. But, but there is there, this proverb, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. You say that to your children to motivate them to study. You have to turn off the TV. You have to turn off the radio. You have to turn off your, your, your laptop. You have to read. You have to memorize. You have to study. You have to learn. And then you get an A, and you've gained something. No pain, no gain. Except in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, Jesus says, my pain, your gain. My pain, your gain. So take, take this story that you heard from Heidi and this challenge from the deacons. And try to figure out a way in which you can celebrate the fact that the pain of Christ has given you a gain. That you become a kingdom servant. Now let me, let me for a moment just define what the kingdom is. The kingdom is all, the realm of the kingdom is all of God's creation. It is as big as it gets. There isn't a square inch where he does not say, I am Lord, over which he does not say, I am Lord. But the kingdom, that's the realm, but the kingdom has come where the will of God is done. So the kingdom reign is expressed where people under the rule of God acknowledge, proclaim, and implement the reign of God. Teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is God's will for us? That we should love our neighbor as ourselves, that we should be sacrificial. But I want to say to you, that is very hard. Because the world has a grip on us. So let me ask you again to take a look at Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus, after he has concluded his parable with these words, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, then the Matthew tells what happens next. Now Jesus was going out to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised from the dead or he will be raised to life. This is what's coming for Jesus. And he 
Father, he prays, Father, not my will, but your will be done. So, so the disciples are aware. They see the kingdom embodied in Jesus who will be sacrificial, who will be beaten and mocked and flogged and crucified. His pain for my gain. And then notice what happens next. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right, the other on your left in your kingdom. In other words, give him status, give him position, give him privilege, give him power. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. He says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And then he goes on today. He says, yeah, you'll drink it. You'll drink it. But now skip down to verse 26. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What motivates? What motivates you on this day? It is my prayer that we will all think of the kingdom and that we will all strive to be grateful. Let's pray. Father God, it's a world that lives with the whole idea of status and rank and achievement and particularly power is our prayer, Lord God, that as we think about these things that we may be reminded that Jesus came not only as our Savior but also as our Lord and that we are called to do his will. It is our prayer that in so doing that your kingdom will come to greater expression, that your will may be done. And we pray, Lord God, with all humility, may that begin with me. May that begin with us. May we be grateful in all that we do, not grumbling, but striving to serve so that your name is honored and glorified. Hear our prayer. Make us your sacrificial people, your grateful people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.